Hello. Hey, John. How's it going? Hi. Hey, guys. I, Hi. You can hear me and see me. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Awesome. I am so sorry about this morning. I, uh, <laughs> no, no, no problem at all. Seriously, like this homeschooling thing is... So what's it like over there then? So <laughs> is me. the like are you homeschooling because of COVID? Is that the reason? Yeah. The I mean, uh, we've got COVID. We've got so because of COVID, homeschooling. Now we've got all these fires. I don't know if you've been hearing. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And like we literally just moved from California, where most of the fires have been happening. Yeah. Up, just up north to Washington, which has now got the highest you know, unhealthy air quality index due to the oh, fires no. here. And Man. I mean, obviously we're blessed. We didn't have to evacuate, um, yeah. but it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I can we, imagine. Like, we're, we're seeing like, we're seeing it on the news over here and trying to actually contemplate it because we're such a wet island where it just rains constantly. Yeah. Trying to contemplate yeah. like a wildfire is just like completely like something that we just can't even like, imagine. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's so hard. Yeah, we're uh, we're dealing with it, but um, but yeah, still, I was uh, uh, anytime I schedule something for like right around their school time, I was like, oh my gosh, I completely think <laughs> so. Again, I'm sorry. For that. <laughs> no, no, so right. I mean, we really appreciate you joining us today. I mean, basically, what we've been doing is we used to talk about sports every week, and everything got shut down. So we've been going through all our favorite comedies of our lifetimes. We were 94, so. Napoleon Dynamite was right one, particularly for us too. So obviously, no better person to speak to than uh, the man behind the magic. All right, uh, I like that. I like that natural segue from sports to comedy movies. <laughs> I mean, we had to find something with uh, nothing going on, so it works out quite nicely. Yeah. <laughs> so we essentially um, we know that you did like a short film prior to Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. And we wondered what kind of outline was given to you in terms of the character? Because it's quite a specific character to portray. So we didn't know if that was written down and you had quite a specific brief to follow or if it was just something that you came up with and then it snowballed into what we see in Napoleon Dynamite. I think, yeah, you're right. Like it all, you know, the genesis of it all was with the short film. And Jared Hess, who, you know, created the whole thing, he was a student at the same, we were both students at the same time at, uh, at uh, university. And we were just in similar classes. And I think with this kind of a project, when he's, the short film was a student, it was a class project. So it was actual an assignment that you got graded on. Um, but so, you know, I mean, the, the only thing there is to lose is your grade, but at, you know, really it's a total kind of a workshop piece. You know, he had an idea. You know, Jared early on had a voice. He had a voice he wanted to express. He came from this small town, Preston, Idaho. And he just always had an eye and an ear for the weird kind of really, I, I, at the risk of saying quirky, I want to say crusty. You know, just <laughs> these crusty little weird characters in small towns, particularly his small town where he grew up. And he had made this short film um, oh, it was called, uh, oh man, what was it called? I got a fifth. Paluka, Palisha? No, 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 no. Paluka is the one I did, but even before right. Paluka, he made oh. the short film with his brother, just riding around on a bike in Preston, Idaho. It was like really 
really simple. And I just remember seeing it and thinking, okay, he has a visual eye. He's just capturing like a raw element of this kind of weird small town and, and just things about life that have no serious impact. It's just more little, little anecdotes of life and visual anecdotes. I think the short film that he made had no uh, dialogue and it was just, it was something that caught my attention. So when he approached me about the script, you know, I first read it and in the script, yeah, he, knowing Jared and reading the script and just kind of hearing the voice kind of in my head and a little bit like, it was almost at the same time as reading the script, Jared just said, hey, you know those kind of kids? And that's really how it all started. It was like, you know those kind of kids are like, oh, these are worse. So retarded. And he kind of just did his little version of it. And in the second he did that, and then I read the script, I was just like, yeah, I know exactly who this character is. I think he was just hoping that we kind of saw, I think he saw that we, uh, I had done one other student film oh, that I had acted in. Yeah. Um, but also, I guess, just kind of how I walked around and how I carried myself and just kind of the, I don't know if it was something about my cadence, but he was just like, I think John might get this. And I think yeah. he might, because for, to him, he was like, it's, whoever I get to portray this character, they've got to get it. Because he had a, another kid in mind, actually, in the beginning, who was kind of the real deal, but he couldn't really act like himself. He wasn't an actor. Yeah, He couldn't really portray himself, and so he didn't get it. So he was like, John, I think if you understand this and you have a little bit of that, um, you know, standing on the other side of camera kind of perspective, because I was a you know, a film student, so I, I kind of got it. So he um, was just hoping, and, and it was just kind of like stars aligned. I was like, I 100% know this character. I know what you're trying to do. And yeah, as we kind of talked about him and we went to the thrift store and we started picking out his outfit, that's kind of when he started to become fleshed out. I remember yeah. specifically, should he wear glasses? Yeah, let's give him some weird glasses that like <laughs> make his eyes look tiny. And I think he's just always like annoyed and just says, oh, and just breathing, he's a mouth breather. And then he came up with the, uh, right there on the spot, he was just like, let's put him in some moon boots. You know, I think yeah. he just thinks those are really utilitarian and awesome. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, that, that's, yeah, that's really how, kind of how it all started. Because yeah. that's something we're really, really like, interested to find out to see how much of you was shining through as Napoleon or, if it was like completely cast or if it was like improvised a little bit, how did you, how much of you was shining through there? Well, I think, so I related greatly to the character when I read the first short script, but then I read the feature script. I was like, oh my gosh, Jared. It's like, I don't know, remember if I told him stories and he incorporated them in, but like, I mean, the whole scene where, you know, Napoleon's just talking about like, I already made like a, like affinity of those boondoggle keychains at scout camp. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I did. As a kid, I was at scout camp and I made boondoggle keychains. I made homemade nunchucks. I mean, you know, so many kids do that anyways, but him and I were raised in such a similar, we were, you know, came from the same church and we had very similar backgrounds. We were both raised in scouts and we both had younger brothers. And that was a big key because so much of Napoleon I saw myself, but I also saw my younger brothers because they were, 
Napoleon kind of acts like always the kid who's crapped on by his older brothers or just thinks the whole world is always unfair yeah. to them. <laughs> and so when I, um, yeah, I mean, I certainly saw that, but I also saw like, you know, the difference being here's a kid who's kind of like his reaction and his nuances is very similar to myself. However, he was probably raised in a household where his parents didn't, you know, take care of him the way, I mean, as we see, he was raised by his grandma. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they just go shopping at the thrift store. My parents were a little bit more um, uh, affluent. So they, you know, we had stuff, but I hung in that world. And I knew that world of like kids who just don't care or don't realize, yeah. or their world, they just don't realize, you know, like wearing moon boots every day is normal. <laughs> it was like, he thinks that's normal, like completely fine. And just like, yeah, you just get the job done and you're fine. Uh, so there's a little bit of, there's, it wasn't so much a disconnect. It's like the taking the next step for me. I'm like, now I just throw those on and like, yeah, I know who yeah. this kid is. Yeah, brilliant. And I think as well, like you've touched on before as well, where you said that Jared has grew up in, actually grew up in Preston, Idaho. And how kind of, was that like an actual projection of what it was like in a small town in America growing up? Was it those kind of characters, those kind of people, and you kind of just put them all together into one, one film? Or did you kind of like think of all the other extra characters that are there as well? I think what, I think uh, what was his um, benefit was that he, um, was that he decided, like, he really just honed in on that town, Preston, Idaho. But I think in his mind, he knew when he, when he was a student and he had planned, because he was just leaving college as he directed his first, I think he was still in college, but he knew when I make my first feature, I'm gonna make it this, I've gotta be as true as I can to this world because he knows it's also gonna be a blanket for like all, a portrayal of so many other small towns. Is it exactly like every single small town? Um, not necessarily, but it's the same idea. You know, really kind of weird characters are a little bit of out of touch with reality because they live in a small town. They don't, you know, they have internet, they have um, certain trends and fashions, but everything's a little late. You know, it gets there literally, you know, physically, you know, shipments get there later than the rest of the country. Yeah. They don't see, you know, it's, it's a kind of a farming town. So, FFA was big there, they just, and I, it's, it's not at all slight, it's just the disconnect from, you know, the hustle bustle of the real world and pop culture. And again, you know, just cultural trends are just take a little bit longer to get there. And that's, yeah, that's most typical small towns. But, you know, again, instead of trying to just grab ideas from lots of little small towns that he took and tried to make it one, He's like, we'll capture that essence, but it's still like, this is Preston. If you go visit Preston, Idaho, that's what it looks like. That's, I mean, that's because we shot it there and, and the same places, the same, you know, locations are like, yeah, that's a high school. That's the thing. This is my personal experiences growing up, but I feel like, you know, other people will be able to relate to it. I, I, that's me speaking for Jared, knowing that's kind of what he was shooting for. Yeah and hoping that people will relate to it because I, again, I, sh while I didn't grow up in that small of a town, you know, I, I had been around and been through small towns. I knew K 
kids like that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's certainly kind of what we were trying to capture. Yeah. So, I mean, just on IMDB kind of trivia, that kind of thing you see on there. So they say that you originally paid a thousand for the role. So I mean, could you believe then, I mean, it goes on to gross 46 million worldwide. It could ever be as big as it was while you were filming it. We, we didn't know. I mean, I, it, sometimes I want to say like, we always kind of knew something would happen, but I, I'm tr it's weird. Like most of my life, it's been a success. I mean, there's only like a year where it wasn't a success yeah. when we made it. So I, it's hard to go back and try to re really remember, yeah. but, but I do, I remember thinking this has a potential, like this is so different. And when I read the script, I was like, this is a nerd film. This is a film about the underdog, about the weirdo kid in high school. We don't have a lot of those. We have Revenge of the Nerds, which doesn't really, it's not very realistic. It's, it was like, you know, the, the pocket protector, taped up glass look, and they're <laughs> like, it just was, it was a cartoon version of nerds. And there wasn't a lot of nerd films to really, you know, kind of, uh, um, bring Harold uh, the way for us. Um, so I remember thinking this is unique. Uh, it's kind of one of a kind, but if it's also really capturing that, like this is the weirdo underdog high school, but it was also innocent enough and simple enough where it's something that we, I knew audiences could like, there's nothing hidden here. There's no dark there's no darkness to this film. There's there's a couple moments here there where you're like, is Uncle Rico really gonna do that? Or is, uh, <laughs> what's going on behind the curtains? But it's pretty much all out there for you to see. So it really was a very simple snapshot of yeah. this kind of world. And yeah, when we were all making it, we all thought, oh my gosh, they could totally, I remember thinking we, like of all the possibilities, they could totally make, you know, talking dolls or action figures that has all our one-liners because we we believe that that said the biggest thing to remember it was an independent film and it was completely independent we had no studio we had nobody we just it was just us so we just thought well how do you get you know back then before you have social media uh social media and stuff like that you're just not sure how you're going to get this film exposed and people to see this film so Really, it was just like, yeah, we'll probably play in a few um, film festivals, which will be great. Uh, and I would think some film festival audiences will get, will get the weirdness. They'll appreciate it. Is it for the masses? I don't know if they'll, the masses will ever care because it's mostly unknown actors and, and it's very specific. And yet, <laughs> so I, I honestly thought like, I don't know if kids are ever gonna care about this. I think it's gonna be the indie crowd yeah. uh, that might like this if they see it. So I, I was taken by surprise when, when it was just, when people really started like everybody, yeah. kids, yeah. kids and, and teenagers. While it's a film about teenagers, I honestly did not think teenagers were really gonna get it or really gonna appreciate it. And I don't think they did at first. It was almost like once MTV kind of put their sticker on it, then, but that's not giving, you know, that's not giving kids credit. I think, 
I mean, you know, generations have passed. And in some ways it has just become a part of pop culture. So maybe it's yeah. okay now. If kids were introduced to this, if this was introduced to kids without, you know, Fox and uh, MTV connected, you know, would they appreciate it? I would think so, yes, because again, I've had, you know, anywhere from eight-year-olds to four-year-olds and people saying, oh yeah, my three-year-old quotes this movie. <laughs> yeah. And they don't get the whole, you know, cultural pressure and, and understanding of like, oh, it's, if they think it's cool, then it must be cool. They're just, they're yeah. so honest. And yeah. So yeah, I guess we, we grab something that people seem to get. It's definitely, because it's like our experiences with Napoleon Dynamite, obviously it came out in 2004, we'd just kind of gone to secondary school, you'd go around to like a mate's house, you'd put the DVD on, it was like, before we really knew what MTV or anything like that was, before we, like, we didn't have any, like, cable contracts or anything like that, put the DVD on, and it was just quoting lines constantly to each other, at school, outside of school, and I guess you're right, it captures that innocence of, if they love it for what it is, and that's how it becomes so cult, I imagine. Yeah. And I think it also, especially for so many ages, young people, um, you're, you're non-indie goers, you're non-indie film people, just your general ma uh, audiences. And, and like, so, you know, just the working man, the young uh, high schools, for them, I think they felt like this is an art piece. And this is an indie film, like, whoa. I think they liked the idea. Part of the attraction was like, here's a film that isn't filled with special effects, that isn't based on a Marvel character, that has no recognizable stars. Like, it's, so it feels like an indie film, but I like it. And so they felt like an ownership there. Like yeah. so many people, when they first saw it, you know, they thought they were the only ones who discovered it. <laughs> Because when the way Fox rolled it out in theaters was genius. They just put it in a couple really small theaters around the country. Um, and every week they would add, a, every week or every other week, they would add it to a few more theaters. But they did it just enough so that people who went and saw it, you know, there wasn't a lot of ads or anything. They just, so many people have, you know, approached me and told me like, oh yeah, I just went to the theater, go see a movie. And it was either sold out. So then I was like, what is this weird looking movie? Like, <laughs> I'll go check it out. And to them, they're like, this is my discovery. They're all gold. It's like they're all discovering, not to use the word gold, but it's like, it's that feeling that we've all felt like when you discover something new that you want to share with everybody else. Like, and you, everybody felt like they were the first ones, which was, it works. It's G it's, it's perfect for any small film because you want everybody to do that because then they're yeah. sharing it. That's how we became a movie. They went and they shared it with their friends and their family and they kept taking new groups. Everybody was watching it over and over and then they bought it on DVD. They're like, if you haven't seen this, you got to come see it. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a huge attraction because it gave them almost made them feel like they had some cred, you know, cred yeah. of like, hey, I like, like, it makes me feel, I don't know if it made them feel smarter or they just like, hey, this is cool. This is an indie film. And this is, I've never seen a film like it. I, and a lot of times it's just simply, I've never seen a film like it. Yeah. It's yeah. dumb and it's yeah. simple to follow, 
but instead of being your typical Hollywood comedy that's dumb and simple to follow or, you know, action film where it's just, I just want some like kind of dead zone uh, brain fodder that I can just kind of put on in the background. This was kind of the same thing, but it made him feel a little bit like, oh, this was an, in the indie theater. Yeah. Uh, so I must be watching something good. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like we've never seen anyone with really any kind of mixed feelings on it. It's either some people really don't like it, they don't <laughs> get it, or other people, if you, if you love the film, you really do go all in, you do love the film properly. So I guess that kind of helps as much because yeah. it is. I people mean, it are is more a, likely to see. It is a polarizing film because it is, it's so specific that it's like, yeah, yeah. if you, you either get it and you love it or, not to say that people who don't love it don't get it. They're, they're, I'm sure there are people who get it, but they're just like, you know, Not either them. they grew up in that world and they're just like, I don't want anything to do with that. Or <laughs> it's just stupid. They're like, ah, oh, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not for them. And, um, and, you know, that happens. And what's great is most of the time those people don't approach me. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't really know about it. It's in the way that it's kind of like snowboarding. You said about, like they're action figures and things. And I think there's a Nintendo DS game, there's a PSP game for Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. You go on to have the cartoon series, which shame we didn't get more of that, but it really did. You've got just about everything and more than you would get for films that have probably made a lot more money, but they don't have the specific fan base for it. Yeah, yeah. It was, I, when we did the cartoon, that really made me realize like we set up a world and uh, like a world of characters and a bubble of characters that it felt, it was so natural when we made that uh, cartoon, the animated series. I was bummed that we only did, and I don't know, I mean, what could it have kept going? I mean, if 10 people million thought, people tuned in for the first episode. Yeah, I mean, if, if people thought that, you know, a lot of people remember saying this could be like a, the next King of the Hill, where it is about like small town, but even smaller, because at the time, I was like, well, if you were in the real press, and you'd be like, how could you make a cartoon series based on this place? There's <laughs> nobody here. There's like nobody. But they did it for the cartoon. And I remember thinking, they could make this work. We could, keep, we could do a number of seasons yeah. in this world. And, and it worked so well because we got the same actors to do the yeah. voices with a few other really good voiceover actors to kind of fill in all the other kind of ancillary roles. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really worked out nicely, but it made us realize, you know, this is a world, a bubble of characters that we've created that you could do an animated show. You could do a live action show. You could do a comic book series. You could, you could do all kinds of stuff. Um, that's to say, you know, not tons else has been done. I mean, I know some, there's been official fans or unofficial fans who've made some comic books. But, you know, I tell a lot of people, I don't think the uh, world of Napoleon is ever dead. You never know what may happen. Maybe, who knows? I mean, they've made well, sequels to movies 30 years after. Yeah, who knows? Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> what, 20, over 20 years after Dumb and Dumber's yeah, sequel came out. <laughs> exactly. Um, this is probably the longest I'm sure you've spoken about Napoleon Dynamite with anyone bringing up the dance. I, hopefully that when people see you in public, they're not asking you to do that out there. But was that always to canned heat? Because we, 
judging by the the budget that's stated, you've got quite a good soundtrack for the film that I'd imagine wasn't no. easy to get alongside it. No, we there was the initial budget that we had, the shooting budget and kind of even the post-production budget. After, so I, I think the way it went is, yeah, when we made it, the director was like, I don't know what music we're going to be able to get. Music is, some, especially for indie films, is half the budget. Yeah. It's just getting the rights to music. And, you know, a lot of directors, and, you know, I know exactly how they feel. They want their specific music. Yeah. Want, uh, sometimes they don't care, but, you know, it's like music makes so much and it can be so expensive to either have it written or have it already produced. So anyways, yeah, when we did the show, um, I know that, you know, for most of the rest of the movie, he was like, well, I'll get what I can get. I'll try to get a, uh, a, co uh, a composer. But um, for the dance scene, he was like, we both were like, he came to me saying, look, I don't know what we're going to get the rights to. So I think what we're just going to have to do is just dance to music, <laughs> whatever we like. And then if we can get the rights, great. If we find another song, because I remember the thinking, like, we can edit it around. We can edit it in a way where it can kind of follow yeah. any song it doesn't have to be right on that will create part of the crustiness we're like we want the dance to be cool but not too cool yeah so we actually did dance i mean him and i both loved jameric right at the time and we uh were like it was just weird we just both loved it that was the song yeah. that i well i did three takes i danced to that song and i danced to another jameric right song and danced to a michael jackson song i think um because we were like, well, let's change it up just a little bit, just in case. Um, and then, yeah, after, I think there's, you know, the way indie films work, they were able to get like the initial festival um, rights, the festival rights for the music. So they didn't have to shell out as much money with the stipulation, like if this ever gets distributed and purchased, you're going to have to pay more. And that's when Fox came in they laid down the rest of the money to pay for the rights of the, all the music. So Jared got, you know, exactly what he wanted, which was yeah. great, you know. Awesome. I think going back to kind of like the character of Napoleon as a whole, so all of the comments that he makes, like under his breath and people walk away, things like that, is that you ad-libbing or is that planned? Is that, did you ever kind of do you have to do anything different in the scripts? It just was gold. So you kept it. It was most of most of it was just gold. Most of it, yeah. most of the script was really like every word was just like, okay, I want to like perform it. It's like a dance. Yeah. Um, and, and most most of the actors will tell you, like, this is the kind of comedy where you're not you don't want to get out there and ruin it with ad lib. Because yeah. Jared wrote it really well. These each of these lines are their own character, and instead yeah. of messing up, you know, all the before and after of each line, you just let the line breathe and be its own thing. Yeah. And it's a total testament to how well it works because people love quoting the movie. They quote it, yeah. and those lines wouldn't be what they are if we had just rambled and just started kind of coming up. Granted, you know, whenever you're acting, you're always ad-libbing your actions and, you know, a director might be very specific about how you move and mm -hmm. how you deliver it. But for sure, there's little moments where you just like kind of, you're saying a line and you have to fill every frame with something. And a lot, while that film is filled with subtlety and Jared wanted a lot of just kind of like, you're looking, 
just like working, <laughs> thinking, and then it's just <sighs> breathing. <laughs> and each of those moments was really kind of like either thought out or just take your time, think about it. But it was a simple time and Jared would be kind of like, all right, so you're looking at it and you're just like, and he would do the breath. He would be like, just go, oh, okay. <laughs> and then so I would do it, you know, and, and kind of do my version. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of ad-libbing. Um, no. Yeah. And I guess as well, like the lack of swearing in the film like makes the film, to me, 10 times funnier. Like all of the little sayings that are said, all of the little quips, but no swearing. Was that something like consciously that you guys wanted to do? Um, or is it just how it played out? No, it was, I mean, kind of both. I mean, it just played out naturally that way. We're, you know, Jared himself, myself, again, both uh, being very religious and just growing up in that kind of environment. We both grew up in this similar environment where, you know, you don't, <clears throat> our parents didn't uh, use language, so we didn't and we're courage, but we would come up with our own version, butt nugget, bodagget, uh, <laughs> freaking, uh, you know, just kind of say these things. And there's a whole culture of that all over America and probably other parts of the world, world maybe. But I don't know if they have that in England, if they have, you know, people like soft, soft language that's like meant to sound like, yeah. Oh, you freaking idiot! Or you, <laughs> oh, you know, like th there is to a degree, but I think kids just swear from like a really young age. Isn't it? it's just, yeah, and like, they do here like, too. Yeah, and, and they do here too. It just really, I mean, again, it just kind of depends on where you grew up and and what kind of household you're raised in. And again, we grew up very similar, and and so it was just being true to like who we were. Especially Jared is like, this is just how I was raised, and so yeah. I didn't. Um, but I think for sure, it, you know, so often having gone to um, film school with those kind of parameters, um, I always felt like, you know, having that, having those restrictions, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, always was a great vehicle for um, promoting creativity. And like, you know, these lines wouldn't, again, these lines wouldn't be these lines if like, you know, you cuss, you use certain language, yeah, someday, I mean, we say it so often because it's about the emotion and how it's, you know, portrayed, but like we've heard that all before, a hundred thousand times. Let's bring in something different. And it's hard. It's, you know, typically, you know, it's just all the kind of comedy. This is the kind of comedy Jared wanted to portray, that we wanted to portray that was different. It's giving I guess you lots of life that you just don't know. Definitely. I guess that just makes it funnier as well because you, you hear the swear words everywhere all the time, yeah. like yeah. in the movies. Whereas to hear some of the lines that you came out with in Napoleon Dynamite, you just never heard before. And that's yeah. what makes the film so great. When, uh, when um, you get approached, is there something in particular that people say to you or want you to say or anything that you get all the time? Um, well, the number one line uh, is easily, Tina, you fat lard. <laughs> um, I don't know and that that was always you know very quickly I discovered that and I yeah. honestly that was a surprise because when we again when we kind of used to talk about while we were making the film a little bit after we were like what are going to be people are going to be just quoting gosh yeah. you know and and yes they do quote those for sure but I just thought 
you know, even some of the longer, like, um, like I'm trying to think of some like, uh, just lines, most of the time lines are quoted from films because we find a moment in our life to use it. That makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, we'll say like lucky and then you're like, repeat yourself, lucky. Um, <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, it, it, it can apply itself to that situation. So when people start coming up and just saying, Tina, you fat lard. And I'm like, what? Like, why is that the number one quarter? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you, like, I don't know what situation you would use that line in unless you had a, unless you had a friend or a pet named Tina who was fat and it was dinner time. Like, it just, and yet people say, oh, that's the number one. Like, we quote that all the time. We just yell it out. And I'm like, well, sometimes we just quote the lines because we just like them. Yeah, and they don't have to make sense in any way. But like one of my favorite lines and that don't get uttered, doesn't get uttered as much, but you know, kind of calling back to your talk about language was just when he goes, why don't you go eat a decroted piece of crap? <laughs> and it's like, I remember at the time I was like, Jared, I was like, now this isn't a word, correct? He's like, no. <laughs> he was like, I don't even think this is a real word. He's like, no, this just sounds, it's exactly like when he just, like, it just sounds like something like, you know, pulling would have hurt somewhere, but then he kind of, without realizing he changed it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like, it sounds offensive, it sounds scientific and smart, but it also sounds like, like you're really just digging out a decroted piece of, like, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, I think I know, is that like fossilized piece of crud that has turned <laughs> And hard and and uh, just lethal. I don't know. <laughs> so when writing these lines, did you kind of all pitch in, or is it all Jared, or, or how did you kind of come up with some of the really unique lines? I think I mean it was mostly Jared and his wife. Um, you know, Jared just kind of like picked a lot of these lines up from his childhood, things that his brothers said, and because so much of it is stuff that happened to him. And his family growing up, his his brothers worked at a chicken farm. I think they worked at that chicken farm, and they would be get home and they'd be pissed because they'd be like, "What a dollar an hour, whatever? That's stupid, you know." And so he kind of worked in those lines. I I'm pretty sure he heard one of his brothers say a decroted piece of crap once, so he put that <laughs> in. So a lot of it was just kind of like remembering things, yeah, uh, and like. Um, you know, just hearing kids say like, go f in Peluca, one of my favorite lines is, Randy, go find your grandma or something. You're bugging the heck out of me, gosh. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, that was just like, yeah, everybody lived with their grandmas. <laughs> like, a lot of times you have kids who are just raised by grandparents. It's like, go find your grandma, okay? Just quit bugging me, like, what does that mean? It sounds, it's funny, but, um, and I think, you know, by the time he wrote, read, uh, wrote the feature, him and I were hanging out a bit and, you know, when we had done the short. So just little things that I would say and stuff I would tell him my brothers said. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, again, you know, um, so Aaron Rule, who plays Kip, him and I were like the only two guys that were like his school buddies who he <laughs> knew from at school. And Kip's Kip's character was based on Aaron Rule's younger brother. 
because Aaron would tell him stories about his younger brother. Dude, you don't understand. My brother did this. His brother actually bought a time machine online. And (laughs) so he would tell him these stories and things he would say, just like, just really T.O.'d right now. And it was that kind of stuff he would tell him. And so again, it was just collections of what people would say. Yeah. As an actor, to have such like an iconic role. So, I mean, almost anything you do is going to be last Napoleon Dynamite. Is it, do you, do you mind that? Or is it something that is just, you're used to it now? Well, yeah, I'm used to it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I literally right before this, I was like, yeah, honey, I'm going to do a podcast talking about yet again, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> um, and I think about that. And of course, you know, like, it's one in a kind. I mean, obviously there's been lots of actors who had their like, you know, their first thing out was something that was a cult. When you're, when you yeah. think of a character that looks so different and is just so memorable in that way, it's always hard to break free. But you know, there have been a number of actors who've done that. I've, you know, I've tried, I've done other films. Um, anything that's hugely successful that's so different you know, it's like I try to do stuff that's more like me, natural version of myself. Whereas Napoleon was like, well, it's kind of me, but he like, I also had a perm and moon boots and glasses. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I'm always trying to find, you know, whatever that new thing is. Yeah. Um, which would, it would really suck, you know, if I didn't like the movie. And I, I love the movie and it's, yeah. I'm yeah. very proud of it. And it's such a memorable ex- um such a memorable and uh, such a special occurrence in my, uh, you know, yeah. Not just an, I wouldn't call it an occurrence. It changed my life. Yeah. But it was such a wonderful thing. I guess it was an occurrence, like to see it from the beginning. This film that yeah. we loved, these characters that we loved, and then to see it become what it became, and and everybody else loving it. And it's always like that's a that's as a filmmaker what you want, and as a creator, <laughs> as an artist. You want that people to connect to your art. You want them. Some people don't, but we weren't doing this in our emo closets, just like, oh, I just want to, you know, create something that only we get. I remember thinking, man, if I'm the only one who, if nobody else likes this, at least I'll have a copy of it on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be fine. But no, I mean, this is like a dream come true for these kind of films. And so I will, it's always a reminder of. Yeah. It's, it's a great it's a great boost yeah <laughs> um, there's so much sorry no there's no, so no, much no. gold in in the film we wondered if there was anything that didn't make it to the film that you thought was really great that you filmed or if literally everything you made did end up in the final cut uh no there was some stuff i mean number one i always tell people go watch the short film peluca because yeah. it's really good i love that i love peluca um, and it's mostly, while it has kind of the same story, you know, what does he do? Does he help his friend out? Um, but it's all like different lines and different moments. And, uh, and so I, that's kind of, we actually shot most of those scenes for the film. There's a whole side story of how he gets uh, the money to help to get his suit and to get the wig for Pedro. Yeah. Um, and so we shot most of those scenes exactly as we shot it in Peluca. And I think they realized, you know, it's, it was weird, but it, it just, it made the film a little bit longer. 
Yeah. He realized he didn't need it. Um, and so I'm fine. There's like, um, I think most of the cut stuff is, is fine. I, I can't imagine. There's a scene where he does catch the bass. You know, he says, I caught you a delicious bass. There's a whole scene before that where it shows him fishing for the bass and he finds one that's too small. So he like drop kicks it back into the <laughs> lake. Um, and that was, that was funny, but you know, it's weird to think of the movie as any different than it is today. Yeah, yeah. Like it, there's a kickball scene. There's a big kickball scene that, we, that was probably the chunkiest thing that was cut from the film that we talk about. But you know, if you watch it, it kind of makes sense. It's, I mean, it's still fun to watch because it's in that world, but it's number one, I don't know if this art director screwed up because kickball, you normally use like a ball that's about like, like that big. Yeah. And instead they had a ball, you can't even see, it was gigantic. <laughs> I was like, it was just silly, almost silly to the point, like so unrealistic, like who plays kickball with this? And yeah. plus it shows kind of like, it shows Napoleon being a jerk uh, to Don, and it kind of makes you like, ah, he's a little, we don't want to dislike no. the character too much. There's yeah. definitely moments of Napoleon, you're like, okay, he's a punk, but you didn't want to do that too much, so they cut no. that. Another question I'm sure you, you get quite a bit is, has there ever been anything close to a, a sequel coming? Because for a film as well-loved as it is, it's surprising that it's never gone that far, because you look at you almost get a sequel for everything these days. And so that's one that we just haven't got around to see it. Well, because I think most of the time, especially with films like that, you really have to look to the director, the people who created it. If it was a studio film from the beginning, then yeah, they probably would have made a yeah. sequel right away. <laughs> um, and while they own the rights, they, and so they could, I mean, Fox all this time, I think the rights actually finally just, I can't remember, but I know all this time Fox could have made a sequel, but I think they always knew and, and it shows like some respectable restraint on their part. They're like, yeah, nobody would care about a sequel if we didn't get the original actors and the same voice and the same feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it would not just the actors, but we'd have to get Jared to, you know, write something. Yeah. directly and I mean you really have to get all the same people and so yeah Jared was just always interested in doing other projects um you know there's been very slight whispers in the wind uh, yeah. if you will where you know there's like maybe a sequel uh or people saying hey maybe we could do a sequel but you know nothing has ever been set no. still I think I I'm not saying that you know I think if it was approached in the right way done very differently than your typical sequel yeah. it's hard because you know most sequels well most high school movies you know are about kids and so when you do a sequel to a kid's movie yeah and your kids are all grown up then it's yeah. like well, well then you have to completely approach it like this is a different movie it's like because it's all sweet and innocent when they're like in school because they don't have they're not adults they don't have responsibilities there's a freedom there but now, once they're adults, and the world is much more grim, and you don't, you don't see the you see the world through a different lens, and so I'm not saying it's impossible. You just have to approach it in a very different way. Yeah. How would you like if you could kind of choose how to make the sequel? How would you do it? If like, I did it, if I did it, it would be 
it would probably be real time. You know, you wouldn't try to pick up like, oh, this is senior year instead of junior yeah. year. Um, it'd be real time, so everybody would be older. Yeah. But um, it would be it would be darker in a still an innocent way. You still want to yeah. capture that innocent vibe, like. It wouldn't be like it's about murder or uh, suicide or anything too dark, but it would be like dealing with some more, a few more mature adult problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, but doing it in a way, like, because you're right, you're like, who would the audience be? The original audience who saw it when they were younger, and yeah. now they can relate to more of these things because they're like, you know, are you trying to capture, you know, Napoleon captures the innocence of youth. Well, what would this be? The innocence of naivety? Yeah. <laughs> this is the innocence of, you know, there's definitely going to be some innocence lost, but it's also like, you know, could still be a portrait, uh, a look at like sweet characters, characters yeah. who are still like good at their core. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't want to give it all away, what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> Keep some of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, um, just finally, we've spoken about Napoleon Dynamite, but obviously you've done a lot more than Napoleon Dynamite. I particularly like Bench Warmers and a Jack likes Blades of Glory a lot. And I didn't know if you have a particular favorite project that you've done or what was the most fun to film because you've done some quite different things. Uh, I mean, man, I loved working on pretty much all those. Uh, I mean, Napoleon was probably the most fun to shoot, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, like Blades of Glory was so completely different. Such a different, I mean, it's a bigger budget. It's a studio film. Um, and what I loved most about that, obviously, was working with Will Ferrell, who was great. I mean, this yeah. guy was funny and it was just like, it was just great to work with him and to be able to say to work with him. Mm -hmm. But also just entering, doing a big studio movie about this weird world of ice skating. And <laughs> I loved, and I really liked ice skating. I loved the idea of like, it made me feel like a professional actor. Like you're coming in, you're learning a skill. We had to take training and, mm -hmm. and we had to learn the choreography and really work hard and slim down and get somewhat in shape. <laughs> and so it really felt like a work piece. So it was a lot, it was a very different experience. It was fun in a grueling kind of a way. Yeah. Um, whereas, and then Ben Tormers was, a ton of fun to make because in on the opposite end, we didn't have to work out, we didn't have to train, we didn't have to be good at anything. Um, and was just hanging out on set, but because it was a studio film, you know, we had amazing catering. <laughs> we had amazing <laughs> everything. It was just, and the guys were just great to work with. You know, just hang out in between sets while they're setting it up. We'd either play baseball, we'd play hacky sack, we'd just mess around. Yeah. Uh, everybody was just really cool and easy and laid back and so that was a ton of fun to make they were, they were all fun yeah I can imagine well thank you so much for giving us so much yeah. of your time today we, we really appreciate it yeah, and, yeah um, no problem yeah hope you enjoy the rest of your day yeah. well thank you guys and uh, this was fun and again sorry about the time change but uh, no, no, no problem at all yeah well thank you thanks so much thank you Goodbye. see you guys bye